0: well good morning to all of you we are in the season that is actually called Easter it is the series of Sundays that go from Easter day all the way through the end of May which is Pentecost and we will celebrate Pentecost in this church And so these Sundays on the in-between side uh, tend to have Easter resurrection in the theme it's like a thread that runs through these stories I love the book of Acts. It is a book of historical narration. It tells about what happens next. Jesus has come. He's taught. He's uh, had his ministry. He was crucified. He was resurrected. And he left. And then the story continues. In fact, it continues all the way to the present day. We are living in a, a season of the book of Acts. If it had enough chapters, that's what it would do. It would tell our story as well. And that is the nature of the the, uh, body of Christ, the story of Christianity, the story of Christ's followers as it goes along. Today we're reading a really very simple text. It is so simple that it's hard to believe that the story of this you know, kind of a small theme. It's sort of a small theme and the characters are not large and yet something happens. I want to read it to us. It comes from chapter 9 of the book of Acts. Now in Joppa, Joppa is way over on the coast. It is a little port city. The Romans have built it. There was a disciple whose name was Tabitha. That's her Hebrew name. In Greek, it's Dorcas, it's the same person. She was devoted to good works and acts of charity. At a time, at that time, she became ill and she died. We don't really know why she died, but she did. And when they washed her, they laid her in a room upstairs. Since Lydda, Lydda was near Joppa, the disciples who heard that Peter was there You know, the rumor mill was Peter was in Lydda. And two men, uh, they sent two men to him with this request. Please come to us without delay. Drop everything that you're doing and come to us in Joppa. So Peter got up and went with them. And when he arrived, they took him to the room upstairs. All the widows stood beside him, weeping and showing tunics and other clothing that Dorcas had made while she was with them. Peter put all of them aside, outside, and then he knelt down and prayed. He turned to the body, the deceased body of Dorcas, and said, Tabitha, get up. She opened her eyes, and seeing Peter, she sat up he gave her his hand and helped her up. Then calling the saints and the widows, he showed her to be alive. This became known throughout Joppa, and many believed in the Lord. Meanwhile, he stayed in Joppa for some time with a certain, uh, certain Simon, a tanner. This is really an interesting, fascinating story, partly because it's an epilogue story. Uh, This is a type of literature. uh, You have prologue stories, you also have epilogue stories, and it's exactly what you think it is. It's the stories that go on past your life. What will they say about you once you're gone? I don't really mean you know, the sweet, wonderful things that people make up at funerals, okay? They won't have to conjure up, you know, oh my gosh, this was the most perfect human being. But what will they say? What is the residue of a life after you're gone? These are epilogue stories. How does the story continue on? How does your story continue on? Dorcas was a no-name in terms of the scriptures themselves and of the community. She was really not widely known except among the widows and the poor. They all knew who she was. She was a woman who was greatly respected and you know what? Her name has been handed down from generation to generation ever since that time. How many of you have been a part of a church that had a Dorcas class? Come on, think about it churches everywhere have had Dorcas classes. These are the classes that come together in the spirit of Dorcas. They're women's groups. They're typically load-bearing church members. When I say that, they are the ones that make the wheels turn. They make the church happen. It's an amazing thing It's amazing about how much power that they have in a church because of their willingness to get involved and to act. Usually the members of the Dorcas class are living reminders of the quiet, noble heritage she left the church. They live in the spirit of Dorcas. She's the exemplar, we would say, of what it means to be a Christ-serving, load-bearing, member of the community. They're good, hard-working women who aren't afraid to do the work of the church. They're not afraid of work. They're not afraid of volunteering. They're not afraid of doing the things that need to be done. These quiet women are the ones who make good things happen by their faithful and dedicated service. No big surprise with all of that. There are a couple of lessons that we could look at in this story if we want to Uh, parse out some lessons. One is the nature of the resurrection itself. This is a story about a dramatic resurrection from the dead. We are in the season of Easter after all. This is the theme that goes through many of these stories. Dorcas died because of some unmentioned illness. And her body was prepared for burial. The women came in, they washed her body and prepared it for burial. She was dead. And Peter, the apostle, who was known for doing amazing things, was in the community. He was not far at all. And so somebody said, let's get Peter. So they went over to the next village or two, and they found him, and they said, come with us. And he did. And there he was in the midst of this community, He climbed up to the upper floor where her body was laid, and in the room were all of these women. These are women who she had given her life to. She had done things for them. She had done things that no one else would do to care for them. She was attentive to their needs. She was aware of what they needed, and she went about her her world, making sure that they had what they needed. Well, Peter was nearly overwhelmed by this. He walked into an emotional room, don't you know? Men don't do that very easily, by the way. These are women who are fully feeling their grief. And here he is, he found himself in this room where grief was being openly expressed. And one after another came to him and said, look here, this is what Dorcas made, it's a tunic. It was for my son's bar mitzvah, and she knew I couldn't afford any of the usual things from the market. Another one said, look at this dress. This is, was made for me, and it was something wonderful. She knew I couldn't afford this. Look at this shawl, one of them said. It was the kind of shawl that they could keep warm in. She knew that my blood was thin and that I shivered all the time. Look at this cloak. I didn't have anything to wear to synagogue, and she knew that I'd quit coming. She knew that, and she brought me this cloak, and so this was shown to, to Peter. With no one else to protect them, to sense their needs, to understand their needs, to pay attention to their needs, what would happen to these poor, vulnerable women? Dorcas, their protector, their advocate in poverty, was dead and perhaps they felt as good as dead themselves. They were truly very, very sad. It was because of the love that Dorcas had shown them. Well, the the Dorcas story has been told maybe every day for 2,000 years since she died because poor people don't have access to adequate health care. Uh, she's remembered by people who are trapped in their poverty when I say trapped, it's not as if they can uh, they can maneuver themselves in life for a better way of living. They are trapped in their poverty. Uh, an endless cycle of frustration and futility of standing in line and waiting for forms to be filled out and for endless government processes. And in the community, who cares for these poor widows? When Dorcas died, they lost their advocate. And Peter ordered all of them out of the room. So it was just he and Dorcas who was laying there. And then he said to her, Tabitha, get up. Peter had been around Jesus. He had seen some of these things happen before. Remember the story about Jairus' daughter? And Jesus said almost the same things to her. Talitha cum." is what he said, little girl, get up. And then there was something similar that happened to one of Jesus' best friends, Lazarus. Dear old Lazarus, who had died, he was in his tomb, he had been in there long enough where Jesus was warned, don't go in there, he stinketh. That's what the King James Version said, he stinketh. He's surely dead. He's been dead for a few days. Don't go in there. And that he did, called him out. So there's this sense in which, in the early days of the church, there were resurrections that were occurring on occasion. The second lesson of this story is the ordinariness of her life. And when I say that, what I mean to say is the extraordinary ordinariness. This is a woman who you would not pick out of a lineup as significant. This is a woman who was important to people who were themselves invisible. Here she is, the ordinariness of her life. She lives in this sea coastal town called Joppa, or Joppa as some would say it. No husband is mentioned here, and some have assumed that she was unmarried. We have no idea. Dorcas had a wide ministry in the city with widows and with others who were alone. And she used her seamstress talent to see that they had clothing and blankets to keep them warm. I grew up under the tutelage of a Dorcas. She was my maternal grandmother and my maternal grandmother lived in Dallas. And my aunt and uncle's daughter, my cousin, and my older brother and I spent our preschool days with our grandmother. Our parents all headed off to work. So every morning early, we would show up and it was like we just crawled out of bed or something. And, and our grandmother kept us. And she was quite the amazing woman, don't you know? There were three of us preschoolers in her care. And we were quite a handful don't you know? And this grandmother did her very best and always seemed to win. She was tougher and smarter and she was always a step ahead. She was farm smart. She had grown up on the farm and yet she was living in Dallas because World War II had brought them in for jobs. You know, we grew up and she, we never outgrew our need for her even when we had children of our own. Over the years, she loved us in simple ways. She absorbed our divorces and our mistakes in life with a steady love that understood forgiveness as a powerful medicine. And in the last years of her life, she was living in a nursing home north of Dallas, up in the farm country, really close to where she had been born and raised. And she was busy there. She would take little bits of cloth. In fact, my cousin, a couple of weeks ago, mailed me a box of some of the cloth that she had that she used for making these little blankets. You know the kind I'm talking about. They fit neatly over your lap. And I asked her one time, why do you do that? What, you know, what, what's with that? She said, it's for the old folks in her nursing home who are like her, where her lap would get cold and so she just goes about in her quiet, unassuming way and gifting these little blankets, little scraps of cloth that have been put together. Lest you think I'm affirming this work, this Dorcas ministry as merely feminine, I'm not. This kind of service is gender free in nature. Do you remember our, our master, our teacher, Jesus? Here's the quote, knowing the father had given all things into his hand and that he had come from God and was going to God, he got up from the table and took off his outer robe and tied a towel around himself and washed the disciples' feet. That is the illustration. Dorcas fully understood that simple act, that, mo- that simple uh, active energy that she created. She got that from Jesus. Wanda and I moved from San Antonio to Leewood and we bought a house, and I was already up in the Kansas City area. I was already working. I was already pastoring in this church. Wanda and the kids were still down in San Antonio. We still had a house to sell, and the kids had school, and so I was up here, and she was down there, and we bought a house. We found the just the right house for us. And I remember the fact that for several weeks, it didn't have a stick of furniture in the house. Not one. I went to a little neighborhood um, garage sale and I bought a table and a chair. And then eventually we brought in a mattress. But I was camping out in this empty house for weeks. I was a Boy Scout. It wasn't that big a deal. It was a lovely home, right? One day I was sitting at home, sitting in my chair that i bought, and I heard a lawnmower really close to my house, and I wondered what it was, and I, so I went out on the back porch, and I saw there was a guy mowing my yard. It wasn't just any guy. It was Bill King, an 80-year-old, He was a retiree, he was out in my yard, not a small yard. I lived on a corner, it was like a yard and a half. He was out in my yard mowing my yard with a push mower. I went out and talked to him. He would have been happy had I not found him. He would have just been really jazzed to pull that off without me knowing about it. Bill King mowed my yard at a time where the grass was growing and the neighbors wondered who lived there. So it was no big surprise, about a decade later, when I did Bill's funeral, that I used this text to talk about Bill King, this Dorcas text. I used Dorcas as an illustration of the kind of life that Bill lived, and everybody in the room understood it. Bill had been blessing the community for a long, long time in simple kinds of ways. And this story about Dorcas made tons of sense because of the way that he lived. Dorcas's story is a living testimony to the power of God to rule over death. It's also a testimony to the miracle of her living. We oo and awe about this story, about the miracle of Peter raising her from the dead. And we stand a chance of missing the most obvious point, the biggest miracle of all. The miracle of living a life of giving to those in need. This is life-giving life. This is her principle in life. This is what she understood. That you receive a life and then you give it away. Life-giving life. The miracle of giving to those in need. The Bible doesn't deny pain. It doesn't cover over it. It doesn't claim to remove the sorrowful sting of death. In fact, the Bible in the Bible, sorrow, suffering, and death are questions that are juxtaposed against all our claims about God. God's goodness, God's righteousness, God's justice, God's power. We hold these things in balance with one another. At one level, our faith makes us suffer even deeper because we realize God has the power to end things or to prevent things. And so in the Bible, God is questioned. Quite aggressively, God is questioned in the Psalms. If you read the Psalms, honestly enough, if you read the prophets, we went through Job last fall big questions about suffering, and even the apocalyptic books, the books about that which is over the horizon of time, in John's mysterious apocalypse, even in the apocalyptic books themselves, he attempts to describe the answer to the question of suffering and death. We've had a million people in America who died of COVID. We weekly and and monthly announce deaths that occur in our membership. We're well acquainted with death. Here's what uh, John wrote. After this, I looked, and there was a multitude that no one could count from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, robed in white with palm branches in their hands. And the one who is seated on the throne will shelter them. They will hunger no more. They will thirst no more. The sun will not strike them nor any scorching heat for the lamb who is at the center of the throne will be their shepherd. And he will guide them to springs of water of life and God will wipe away every tear. The answer of death is not maybe answered in the way that we would want it to be answered. It's truthful, it's honest, it's a part, it's woven into the fabric of what life is. But here's the answer we get from John in the Revelation. God will wipe every tear from their eyes. Every tear, the tears of the mother who lost her child, the tears of the wife who lost her husband, the tears of grief anticipated by those who hear bad news in the waiting room of the hospital, the tears of parents who cannot feed their children, the tears of the abused, the tears of the disappointed the tears of the lonely, the lost, and forgotten. We give thanks today for Dorcas, an epilogue story that continues to tell, sharing her story of her very quiet, ordinary life. God bless Dorcas this day, amen.